following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Passion Week, this is an explosive week. Jesus, who spent three years of his public ministry raising the dead, healing the sick, being the way, the truth, and the life, modeling this stuff for us profoundly, explosively, wraps up his final ministry with his final descent into Jerusalem, really. And he told the apostles, he told them from the very beginning, he said, guys, this is the way it's going to end. They're, they're blown away that he can do all these things and all the miraculous, but he said, guys, it's going to end a little different. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. This is the way it's going to happen. And they didn't really understand what that is, but Jesus is about to wrap up his public ministry, and he's about to essentially make his final descent into Jerusalem. And today we're looking at a passage where Jesus is coming down from northern Israel, and he's coming through Jericho to Jerusalem, and it's his final passageway. And we're talking about Passion Week, and many of you maybe have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Have any of you guys seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, it just shows his passion. Jesus had so much passion for you and me, so much love that he didn't let anything get in the way of that love. He had so much love, so much passion, nothing was going to stop him from expressing his love. I'm hoping this week we can look at it a little different. Many of you have heard the Palm Sunday story before. Many of you have heard about Passion Week before. But my hope, my prayer today is that we can look at it just a little bit differently. Instead of looking at just the passion of the Christ, I'm hoping that we can translate that into the passion of the people of Christ. Because we're going to see Jesus walking with a level of passion that is unprecedented in this week. But I think if the people of Christ, the people of God, would walk in the same kind of passion, things change radically. In the passage we're looking at today, I'm seeing a snapshot that I've never seen. You know, you read scripture over and over and new stuff jumps out at you. Does that ever happen to you? You know, you've read it before, but you didn't see that. I'm seeing a level of passion in the people who love Jesus Messiah. A level of passion that I've never really seen before, and it happens in this passage today. And I want to highlight that passion, because my prayer is that that passion would be in your life and in mine too. You can't make it up. It's God-given. But God can pour out a passion in your life And I think it's beautifully modeled right here, the passion of the people who love Jesus. Uh, If you have your Bible, it's Matthew 20. We're going to start in verse 29. And we're going to see what kind of passion they really had for Jesus Messiah. It was explosive. Again, my prayer is that we have the same sort of passion. We're going to look at this in sections. It starts in verse 29. And it says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Two blind men in Jericho. You read the story in Luke's gospel and you see one of these guys is Bartimaeus. These guys are blind. They're on the side of the road. They don't have a whole lot of opportunity in their world of first century Israel, but they're sitting on the side of the road. They hear about Messiah. I bet they've been hearing about Messiah for a long time. 
but they hear that Jesus, the Messiah, is actually here. And he's actually walking by. They hear crowds. They've never heard of anything like this before. And they're sitting, could this be? As they're sitting by the road, the quiet road, and all of a sudden, all these people are going by with Jesus. And they're thinking, here is our one shot. If we ever had one shot, it's right now. And so these guys are like, Jesus, Messiah, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd around them rebukes them. Rebuke is not a light word. It's not an easy word. It's a harsh word. It's like, stop, knock it off, be quiet. Leave him alone. What do you do if you're one of those blind men? What do you do if you're on the side of the road? You can't see, but the people around you can. You have to live with these people for the rest of your life, by the way. You can't see, they can. They're not happy with you, and they're telling you to be quiet or else. What do you do? What do you do when you're told to be quiet? What do you do when you're told to calm down, just just lighten up a little bit, with your passion for shouting out for Messiah? What What do you do? Well, these guys were in a perfect position, and I would understand why. I would understand why these guys would quiet down. I would understand what the whole crowd saying, be quiet, knock it off. But you know what it says they did? They shouted all the louder. When they were told to be quiet and calm down, they shouted even louder. They're like, you think you heard us the first time? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus is walking through the crowd. He's like, now I heard that. I heard that. I think Jesus hears everyone who calls out to him like that. And Jesus stops in the crowd, all the people, all the noise is like, hold on a second. I heard a passionate cry coming from somewhere over there. Stop this whole entourage right now. Stop. There's something really important. Someone's shouting out for me. And he turns around, stops the crowd, pushes his way through, looks at these guys, gets down probably eye level. What do you want? It's amazing how he asks people, what do you want? And you look at the Gospels, you hear Jesus say this a lot. Now you think he would know, and he does know. But he wants you to say what you want. He wants you to say what you need. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And some people say, well, I don't really know how to pray for myself sometimes because I don't feel like I should. No, you should. You should pray. You should ask God. You should make your prayers and requests and petitions known to him. Everything with praise and thanksgiving. Say thank you for this and thank you for this. Mighty God, I got a need right here. And in the passage, you're saying, what do you guys want? Tell me what you want. There's one thing. Just want to see God. I got it. So Jesus turns around, has compassion, and he heals these guys. Now, I love this. This is a story of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for his final descent into Jerusalem. But we look at a couple of guys on the side of the road with truckloads of passion, yelling out Jesus Messiah on his way into Jerusalem. And I love how the story starts. I've read this many times but I've never seen the kind of shouting in a passage of scripture that we're going to see today. I've never seen the kind of shouting with passion for Jesus like we're going to see in the scripture. These two blind men now see. They join this movement of people celebrating Jesus. They become part of the worshipers along the way. And this group not only got bigger, it got a lot louder because they got two passionate worshipers who joined 
you know, what if these guys stayed quiet? Would their life ever be the same if they stayed quiet? I don't think so. I don't think their life would have been the same had they stayed quiet, but they didn't stay quiet. You know, I'm, I'm reminded, speaking of passion, I'm reminded of David, uh, King David. He was passionate when it came to shouting out to God, crying out to God. He was passionate in his worship. We see that in his life. David, if you could say one thing about the guy, the guy was passionate. He wasn't reserved. He wasn't held back in his passion. There's an amazing snapshot in 2 Samuel. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant that they went through the whole desert with. And then when they got to Israel, they had it setting in Bethel for a while. And then finally, it's time to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. And David's like, this is a big deal. It represents the presence of God. And we are going to celebrate because this is a big deal. David's passionate. And they're bringing the ark back and they're celebrating. And it says in 2 Samuel 6.15, I think we have the scripture up here. It says, while he, speaking of David, and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. In other words, we are passionate about our God. We will not be quiet about our passion with our God. And as they're bringing the ark up to Jerusalem, all of Israel and David are shouting out, God, you're awesome. They're not quiet and reserved and stoic. They're like, this is a big deal. God is someone to celebrate. And these guys are shouting out. So it says David and everyone else shouting out with them. This is also the scene where we know that David was dancing in his celebration, dancing before the Lord. Here's where it takes a little turn. His wife, name was Michal, she had a big problem with this. To her, there's some composure you have to maintain at all times. You cannot let your passion run like that. It's not proper. It's not good. It's not fitting. It's not suitable. It's not appropriate. And she had a real problem with this and basically said, how dare you do that when David came home? How dare you? Run around all passionate out there like that. How dare you show some dignity, stay composed, act like a king for Pete's sake. And David's response is, I will celebrate before the Lord is what he said. Don't ever tell me to not celebrate God. I will celebrate God. God is someone who ought to be celebrated. And I will always be passionate about celebrating God. He said, don't tell me to do that. I will celebrate God. And this is what he says. I'm going to even be more undignified than this. Think about that for a second. In other words, we're bringing the presence of God, the ark. This is a big deal. Of course we're going to be passionate about it. Are we supposed to calm down, be quiet, be stoic, be, be contained? How can you be contained when you're bringing the presence of God among his people like this? He's like, I'm going to be even more undignified than this. There's something about this being dignified or undignified. There's something about blind men on the side of the road who want to shout out who are being told, hey, quiet down, to just go, okay, or to say, no, Jesus, Messiah, and call on him or being composed and maintaining dignity, quote, unquote. David, who modeled passion really well, who was a worshiper as a young boy, is saying, no, (laughs) I'm going to get more undignified this. When it comes to me celebrating God, when it comes to my passion, I don't need to have it reeled in and wrapped up and locked in a box. It's simply not biblical in the Old or the New Testament regarding our passion for the living God. I want to ask you, how about you? How dignified do you need to be? What level of 
dignity is required of you as far as composure, and proper, being stoic when it comes to your genuine heart and the fire on the inside in your relationship with God. It's between you and God, but think about that. David said, I'm going to get more undignified than this. He's like, things are just starting right here. We haven't started praising yet. It's going to a whole new level of his passion and his fire and his zeal for God. According to David, David would say this to us today. He would say, I won't let my composure get in the way of my praise. I'm not going to let my composure stop my praise. But some people would say, I am not going to let my praise get in the way of my composure. Some people would say, I am not going to let my praise get in the way of my composure. And I was one of those people. I remember when I came to a, a Bible teaching church for the first time that was worshiping God. I remember seeing worship going on. And I, I know our musical aspect of worship is one slice of our worship life. But I remember looking around going, why are they doing that? I'm keeping my composure. I'm going to be more dignified than that. That's what I said. And along the journey, I realized when I looked at Jesus, Jesus, we don't see passages of Jesus where he stood stoic and dignified before the crowd. You notice you don't see that description of Jesus. He said, come like a child. We see him pouring out his life like a drink offering. We see him filled with compassion. He wasn't stoic and proud. In fact, the ones who were were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who said, we will maintain composure at all times, at all expense. And we will keep our worship in this zone of control. Passion will not be shown. And, and I just think when you look at these blind guys on the side of the road, they knew more about passion for Jesus than the Pharisees did. And they're the religious teachers. There's something about this. The people around Jesus knew more about passion for the living God. David modeled it really well here as well. As the passage moves on in Matthew chapter 21, it begins his descent into Jerusalem. And it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So in this scene right here, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Instead of a horse like many kings would ride into town, Jesus is not riding a horse because a horse is an animal to come in and conquer. And Jesus is like, I'm not here to conquer Jerusalem. I'm here to conquer sin and death. I'm not coming in as a king to, to overreign and take over. I'm coming in as a king in humility to serve. I love Jerusalem and I'm coming here to serve her. So he comes in. And this is a very unique victory parade, if you will. Everyone's out there chanting and yelling out and crying out to Jesus Messiah, and they're waving palm branches from John's gospel. It says palm branches. 
They're waving palm branches. He's coming on, on, this, on this donkey in total humility. It says in Luke 133 that he, meaning Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. So every other king that came on the history of this planet had a kingdom with a beginning date and an end date. But with King Jesus, the Messiah, the kingdom never ends. There's the beauty right there. That's why this kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. And this king is like no other king. All these other kings vanished, but his lasts forever. I love what it says. There was crowds. And there was crowds in the front that were shouting praise. And there was crowds behind him that were shouting praise. And, and, and again, we, we saw shouting earlier as Jesus is on his way in. People shouting out the same thing. Jesus, Messiah, Son of David, that's what it means, Messiah. It's a messianic term. Jesus, Messiah, they're yelling out to him. And then the crowds are doing the same thing. They're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And they're yelling this out, front and back, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And in Luke's gospel, in Luke 19, the Pharisees, once again, the stoic, composed ones, said to Jesus, says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, these Pharisees, they don't have time for this. First of all, they didn't recognize the Messiah. That was their first problem. But they also had no passion for the things of God. And they're telling people to be quiet. And if not, the stones will cry out. This was a day in history that was prophesied 483 years earlier. Back in Daniel chapter 9, it talks of a time, if you, if you do the math, that the king is going to come and his kingdom will never end. And it points to this time, a day in history. Many people are expecting it. They're yelling out Jesus Messiah and the Pharisees are like, quiet down. You know, people shout about a lot of different things. You go to a sports game, you hear a lot of shouting. People shout about a lot of things. But if there's one person to shout about, it would be Jesus, the resurrected one. If there's one that we can shout about, it ought to be him. If, if we know who Jesus Messiah is. The Pharisees didn't know who Jesus Messiah really was. They didn't get it. They weren't shouting about him. But you had a lot of regular folks who completely understood who Jesus Messiah was. And they were shouting about him. Because Jesus Messiah is somebody to shout about. There's a snapshot in Isaiah 62. I think we have the scripture up here. I love what it says. It's a messianic text pointing to this day of Jesus writing in, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. This is Old Testament. I will not be quiet. I will not be silent. And this is what was said for Zion's sake. Now, when you look at a scripture like that for a New Testament believer, you can say, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, I will not keep silent. For Christ's sake, I will not remain quiet till his righteousness shines like the dawn and his salvation like a blazing torch. I don't know about you guys. If there's one thing I want to do, I want to see Jesus famous in this land. I want to see Jesus high and lifted up. I want to see Jesus. Now, I wish people knew who he really was. Some do. Many have no idea. If, if you knew who Jesus really was, you couldn't help but love him because you'd know how much he loved you. But the world doesn't know that. And that's why we want our life to shine before men. We want to know God. We want to make him known. We cannot be silent in this proclamation, guys. We're living in a time where it's not time to be silent anymore. It's not time. 
And if this thing of shouting out or speaking up is an area where you're like, well, I don't know, my composure, you know, I don't don't know about that, I, I would respectfully ask you to prayerfully rethink that and ask God to meet you there. We sang a song earlier about the fire inside. It's not a self-made or a fabricated one. It's the fire of God in you. And when the fire of God is burning in you, you can't help but speak up. You're not worried about shouting. You're not worried about what people think. You're living to the audience of one. And so it's a game changer with the fire of God. These people had this passion for Jesus. It moves on in verse 10 and it says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, he replied. Have you not heard from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? So in this scene here, Jesus is cleansing the temple. And basically what was happening in the temple is the worshipers were getting ripped off. Worshipers came to Jerusalem at least three times a year for dedicated feast days. They would come and sometimes instead of bringing an animal to sacrifice, they would save up their money and they'd buy an animal when they got there. But you had to exchange your money into temple money. You couldn't use regular Roman money. So the money changers were ripping people off right in the temple. And then they turn around after getting ripped off with their exchange rate. They would turn around and buy an animal, but these animals were overpriced and not even really suitable for, for, for worship. And Jesus is like, this is a mess. And Jesus, in his passion, said, this is my father's house. And this is not the way it works in my father's house. And he starts flipping tables. Now, we don't start flipping tables and temples like he did. It's his house. But he comes in and he basically is saying, you know what? The way you guys are doing religion, it's all wrong. This is not pleasing to my father. And that's what he basically did. And I don't know about you guys, but I think, I think we're going to see more of that in days to come. I think we're going to see more of God scattering the way some folks do religion. Because in the end times, the Bible says there'll be a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So there'll be forms of churches and things and systems of worship. There'll be forms but denying the power thereof. I think you're going to see some scattering going on from what is genuine, straight-up, word-based, spirit-led worship and understanding of the living God and what is some fabricated, contrived, half-baked version of it like we see in the temple here where Jesus is turning some tables. The chief priests and the Lord, I love this, it says the children. Now we got children. We went from blind men yelling out, Hosanna, son of David. Then we got crowds in front and behind Jesus all the way down into the, into the temple mount going, Hosanna, son of David. And now in the temple, we got children. We got little children. No one told them to do this. Hosanna, son of David. What I love about children, they are unashamed. Children are passionate. 
And that's why he says, let the little ones come unto me. And that's why he said, the kingdom belongs to those such as these. Because children get it. Children are passionate. Children aren't filtering everything through, well, what is everybody going to think? What are those people? They might think I'm a little weird. See, we start coming up with these concerns or wonders or trying to please other people or phobias or doubts and fears and all this other stuff. That's not the heart of a child. And that wasn't the heart of all the Jesus lovers either. All the people that loved Messiah in this story, they were all just, just unashamed, just honest. They weren't fabricating anything. They're like, God, you, you're putting a zeal on these. I've got to shout out to you. I love you, God. It's not the shouting. It's the representation of a lifestyle. Either passion is in you and it comes out of you, or you reel it all in and keep it throttled way down. Keep it very contained. Be concerned. And I don't see that in here. I see a glorious freedom of even children yelling out. And the chief priests, once again, it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant. That means they were fuming mad. They're not like, hey kids, can you pipe down over there? No, they're mad. They're mad that these kids are yelling out. And it says, they told them, you know, they tell this to Jesus. And it says, Jesus responds, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. That's from Psalm 9, a messianic passage talking about children ordaining praise to the Messiah, which we see fulfilled in the temple. You know, there's something about praise being ordained. I believe when we sing to Jesus Messiah, our praise is ordained as well. There's a theme going on about here, and the Pharisees in the meantime are saying, knock that off. That, that, that Messiah stuff, that, that getting passion, it's not necessary, knock it off. And the, Messiah, the, the Pharisees have an ongoing theme about this. I don't know about you, but in my faith, it's time for a little reckless abandonment. It's time for some abandonment. It's not time for composure and, and, and concern about what other people think. It, it's time to say, God... Would you fill me with your passion and your fire and would you let me live as a representative of the kingdom of God? Not hindered, not concerned, not worried, but as a living sacrifice, as someone who says, you know what, I understand the passion of Jesus in my life. I understand his passion for me. I too am going to have passion for him. And when you think of the passion of the Christ, think about the passion of the Christian. Think about what is your response and your passion for the living God. This is a perfect week, guys, for you to pick up the word at home this week, culminating on a good Friday and a resurrection Sunday, and look at the passion in the story. Look at how much passion he had for you and me. You know, we see a snapshot in this passion week of a woman who had passion for Jesus because she knew Jesus had passion for her. Jesus forgave her, gave her a new life, gave her a whole new beginning, turned her world upside down, and she comes to Jesus and starts pouring out perfume on his feet and crying at his feet and washing his feet with her tears and wiping. And she's got this passion. And the Bible says, whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. And, and when, when Jesus has done a lot for you, I think it shows. And if he hasn't done much for you, that shows as well. And this is the time to really think about what he's done for you or maybe what he needs to do for you right now. Maybe, maybe you think, well, I've always been raised a believer and I've never really been that bad to begin with so Jesus hasn't done much for me. I think you need to rethink that. I think you really need to rethink what Jesus does for 
everyone because whoever's forgiven much loves much. And the person that's forgiven much and loves much has a life of passion. And there's not just the passion of the Christ, there's the passion of the Christian. There's the passion of the Christ follower. And it becomes evident to everybody around, but I do believe it's time for reckless abandon. It's not time for conservative prayer anymore. It's not time for conservative praise. It's not time for conservative obedience anymore. It's not time for conservative love. It's not time for conservative, and I mean reeled in, faith, no. It's time for abandonment in areas of faith and hope and love and and, and celebration and proclamation of our God. I believe this is time for this, guys. It's time to represent him on a whole new level, and it's time for some full-throttle Christianity. Full-throttle faith, guys. It's time for full-throttle Christianity. Again, this week, go home and read. Look at his passion for you, and look at the passion of some of the people around him. Let us be those followers, those Christ followers, who also represent some passion. Not toned down, not watered down, not half-baked, not reeled in, not concerned what others think, just a glorious freedom. The Bible says where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And there's people in the story yelling out with a little freedom. I don't care what you think or what you think. I know who he is. And I know who I am because of who he is. And I won't be silent anymore. They're the kind of people say, you know, if you got a problem with it, I'm going to be more undignified than this. And God's like, I'm okay with that. God's okay with that. So we're going to close in prayer. I want to just ask you as we... This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.